0: There's an amazing stat that meditation increased 3000% during COVID as a coping mechanism that we were trying to deal with uncertainty and the unknown, and realistically, like. We never really know what's next. It's a false sense of security. Whatever is happening, you know, in COVID, we really had the rug pulled out from under us, right? So people were turning to meditation, and we saw this at Mala Collective. Oh, it's not just this woo-woo thing. It actually helps me cope with my daily tasks. It helps me with my family, with my work, with whatever, whatever aspect of your life.
1: Hi guys, and welcome to the Rach Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is the founder and CEO of Marla Collective. She's also a meditation teacher and has been featured in publications like Forbes, Goop, the LA Times, and so many more. Welcome to the show, Ashley Ray. Thank you. That makes me sound so cool. I love that. <laughs> it's very rare. You are great. so cool. Oh, thank
0: you. I mean, it's so rare when you have somebody else repeat you back to you. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so exciting. I'm so excited to chat with you and, and I'm so glad that we could make this happen because of course we've got a massive time difference. You're over in Vancouver at the moment. And how is everything over there for you guys?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've only been home for about a week, but yeah, how lucky are we to have the ocean and the mountains and so close as as much you know everything's
1: so heavy, but um,
0: I feel grateful. I'm grateful to be home in my apartment and have my meditation area and just be cozy.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about you, I feel is that you in your early career, you were a journalist covering murder trials, which to me sounds just insane to be honest. It's 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 a very different career that you used to have compared to what you do now. So I'm really curious to know what was that like for you? What was that environment like? And I guess dealing with hearing those kinds of stories because it's a very you know sort of very specific narrative I guess that you you'd sort of be hearing a lot how was that I mean I I loved journalism I knew I wanted to be a
0: journalist since I was a little kid so to go into it I I fell into that niche accidentally I was actually an entertainment editor so going into covering murder trials was not like a life goal, nor was it the path I thought was going to happen. It just happened. So it, it it was, it was overwhelming in so many ways to see what people are capable of to watch people on a jury have to decide somebody else's fate. It was just the whole human experience was quite overwhelming. And I have to be honest, since then I've never listened to a murder podcast or watched a documentary on it because I think seeing it firsthand, it, it brings up so many emotions. And yeah. and also it's so much obsession. It was it was my life and my life revolved around it. And when your life revolves around something like that, you know, that's not the most uh uplifting dinner party conversation <laughs> to have every night. So I'm I loved I loved the experience of being a journalist and being let into people's lives and be able to ask different questions and witness different versions of life, but I like meditation significantly more than covering work.
1: <laughs> I, I, I can imagine And So it, they're polar, polar opposites really of the spectrum. And I mean, you've spoken about when you decided to quit mm. journalism and travel to Bali. And so I'm really interested to know what sparked that decision. Were you feeling unfulfilled or were you searching for something or what was that moment that you were like, mm, I think I need something a bit different here?
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's so interesting when we look back on our life decisions, it's so much clearer now than it was in the moment. But in the moment, I think we were having what we you would probably call a quarter life crisis and <laughs> just feeling unfulfilled. And now when I look back, I'm like, oh, I wasn't aligned with purpose. I wasn't living in my potential. I can say that now, but in that moment, you know, I was 24. I didn't know. I just thought I worked so hard to get here and I won a national award and I was amongst all my peers and realized there's nowhere else for me to grow here. And not that I couldn't keep learning. Of course, of course I could keep learning. Of course I could always get better. But there is this, this stump, like I was stunted in a way of, well, what's next? What, what else is there? And that was when my partner and I at the time, we didn't actually go directly to Bali. We went to New Zealand to immigrate. Oh, really? And we ended up in New Zealand and we got jobs and we realized it was so similar to British Columbia, Canada, where I'm from. I mean, not the same, of course, the beaches are so much nicer in New Zealand, New Zealand. <laughs> uh, but the outdoorsiness, like everything, the, um, the mountains, the ocean, the lifestyle was so similar. So we just kept traveling and we ended up in Bali and that's how the business started. So it was never out of seeking entrepreneurship. It was never out of, I wonder what else is out there. It was I didn't have a mortgage, didn't have kids. Why don't we just go and try and find ourselves on this trip?
1: Mm, yeah, that sounds so amazing too. And and to kind of immerse yourself in a different culture, I suppose, you you yeah, are open to exploring a, a variety of things that you, I guess, never knew existed prior to, right? So your transition, obviously, into meditation and mindfulness was quite unique and <laughs> quite serendipitous uh, as well, right? So can you share a little bit about that moment for you.
0: Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the word serendipity. I I, Me too. To I too. still <laughs> believe in serendipity and synchronicity. So, you know, the mm. short version is we ended up in Bali. We fell in love with these mala beads. Mala beads are a string of beads that you can use in your meditation to hold your focus. So ours have different gemstones and crystals, but we weren't, you know, into that meditation world with time. We just found these malas and fell in love with them. And we are flying from Bali to Thailand. And a woman came up to us on the plane and said, I love your aura. Can I sit and talk to you? And she ended up being the woman that made the beads that we had bought in Bali. So it was very serendipitous collision of lives. And, you know, when I tell that story, because I don't tell it that often, um, people always say when I do share it, I wish something would fall into my lap like it fell into yours. And I understand what they mean by that. I understand that there's also 10 years of hustle and tears and feeling not good enough and ups and downs following that. But I understand that that moment is so beautiful. But what I I truly believe is that we are all, you know, every day we can receive that serendipity every day. We can receive that type of interaction, or we can be that interaction for somebody else if we remain open. And I think that Mm -hmm. most of us do not remain open. Most of us go to that. Oh, that's too good to be true or I could never, or whatever. We get so blocked analytically. Again, I didn't have a mortgage. I was in my twenties. I could travel I had a lot more freedom, perhaps than maybe somebody in their forties hearing that story or fifties that have these other obligations that it would be irresponsible to just start a business that day. I think that the idea of being trust and being open and open to receiving and open to serendipity is probably the biggest lesson out of that for me. And I really hope that that's a takeaway for people that you don't have to go to Bali and and to find that interaction. You can find it wherever you are.
1: Yeah. I really love that. And I think, I think it, I mean, it happens in everyday life. Like you said, it doesn't have to happen if you travel somewhere and and especially now it's a little bit more difficult to travel places, but I think, you know, those moments, like you said, just those little moments can kind of guide us in certain directions. And I, I think you're right. Being open to them really helps to um, to lead you and I guess along your path, right? So that was, I feel like that was the moment right for you where you you started the whole business, but you you were travelling through Bali and all those different places. Did you notice, you know, certain Eastern philosophies that I guess that we don't do in the West that really can help us? What were the things that you sort of um, really took away from your travels in the east oh my goodness there's so many
0: (sighs) i i I spent a lot of time in india and bali as well i love that part of the world the himalayas are so special to me and i think Mm -hmm. being from canada the mountains i feel at home in the mountains and being in nepal never forget somebody saying we revere the mountains as gods here and i i remember that feeling of oh those mountains will be here far past my existence and have been here you know far before i was before i was born And these lessons of tradition and respecting nature and respecting our own presence. I mean, none of this is, we all know these things. We all know these Mm -hmm. things connecting with nature. We all know that we should slow down and breathe and connect to our bodies. And I think it was more of how can we incorporate that into our daily life without making it an escapist experience. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us, and I do this too. I go to meditation retreats, I go to yoga retreats, but how can you bring these little moments in your daily life, in your daily routine, and just incorporate mindfulness instead of being extreme and needing to go, nothing wrong with jumping on a plane to Bali. It's an absolute dream to do so. But how can we bring those little moments into our routines of eating and just being grateful and having gratitude for the food that we have or breathing deeper when we're in nature or whatever, whatever that looks like, reconnecting with yourself, with your friends, your family, you know, these might sound a little bit elusive and non-tangible, but there was just a practice of patience and reconnection with self that is so beautiful Mm. to witness.
1: Yeah. And I think, I feel like, especially in our modern day lives, it's so fast paced and we're always moving around, things are going on. And I think you know sometimes i feel like in the west we we don't really even know what mindfulness is exactly so what is it exactly because like you just said it can be a really vague concept yeah. so what what is mindfulness exactly great question i mean i <laughs> Again, like when I started Mala, I think most people assume because
0: I started a meditation company that was deeply obsessed with meditation. Meditation scared Mm. the life out of me. I had no idea how to do it. I assumed Mm. I was doing it wrong. I just thought I was bad at it, which is most people's response when I tell them what I do. But mindfulness is so simple. It's just bringing awareness to the present moment. And again, That can sound like such a throwaway sentence, but mindfulness Mm. can look like, like I just mentioned, when you have something to eat, like eating mindfully, instead of shoveling in our face while watching Netflix, which I mean, hey, I still do that. Or how can we bring a moment of gratitude in the morning? I have a gratitude practice that I do every morning, of journaling, or being more present. You know, we can incorporate mindfulness into listening, becoming an active and compassionate listener, listening to hold space for the other person versus listening to respond, because we often are listening and crafting our response and not really listening. So mindfulness can can leak into so many beautiful areas of our day. So it's just being present of each moment. And it's so easy to do. And it's so easy not to do. We're so often jumping ahead of what's next. Okay, just slowing down. And a lot of that practice is through breath and what a
1: gift we always have that with us but we often forget to tap into it yeah you're so right too because we do we do just tend to rush around it's a default mode for a lot of us i think to yeah. and you almost have to be so conscious of being mindful you have to remind yourself to be mindful because it isn't a common practice or it's a, i guess not as not as common in the west i suppose to do that so you know why is it so important for people to connect back to themselves particularly particularly in the culture that we live in?
0: Mm. I mean, there's so many ways to answer that. And I'm going to go with the more of the woo-woo answer because you can look at yeah, <laughs> the benefits of meditation and mindfulness. We all know it helps reduce anxiety, you know, lowers blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's an amazing stat that meditation increased 3000% during COVID wow. as a coping mechanism that we were trying to deal with uncertainty and the unknown. And realistically, like We never really know what's next. It's a false sense of security, whatever's happening. You know, in COVID, we really had the rug pulled out from under us, right? So people were turning to meditation and we saw this at Mala Collective. Oh, it's not just this woo-woo thing. It actually helps me cope with my daily tasks. It helps me with my family, with my work, with whatever, whatever aspect of your life. But when I teach meditation now, I really love leaning into it that when we get to come back to ourselves, we get to meet ourselves again. And these I don't mean to say this is such elusive, big phrases, but how often do you just sit with yourself? How mm-hmm. often do you sit and listen to the thoughts that you're thinking? You know, 90% of our thoughts are from yesterday and we're not very nice to ourselves. We're mm-hmm. actually pretty mean to ourselves. We speak to our best friends so much nicer than we speak to ourselves. So when I'm teaching meditation, I use this analogy. One of my teachers taught me years ago. Uh, if you imagine a bicycle wheel and you imagine the center of the bicycle wheel, that's your focal point in meditation. And if you imagine all the spokes on the wheel, that's all the times that your mind is going to wander. That's a completely normal meditation. Your mind's going to wander maybe 250 times in eight minutes, totally normal. But when you get up to the edge, when you get to where the rubber is, that moment you get to choose self-judgment. I'm the worst meditator. I knew I was so bad as I never should have done it. Or you can choose oh, my love, just come back. Oh, my love, your mind wandered. It's okay, come back. So you get to practice 200, 250 chances to be kind to yourself or 200 or 250 chances to be mean to yourself. Mm. And then those thoughts come back tomorrow and the next day. So it's this opportunity for us to start changing how we speak to ourselves and changing that inner voice narrative to kindness and compassion. And I, I feel that when I'm teaching it that way, it's so much more accessible because when when I first started meditating, I thought I had to sit there for 20 minutes with no thoughts and mm-hmm. I like couldn't itch and I had to just sit there with nothing. And I, I can't do that. I don't know anybody that can do that. Yeah. But when you reframe it as, okay, take 10 minutes to just be kind to yourself, that's a way nicer, in my experience, way to ease into a practice. It's way less
1: intimidating. Yeah, I really like that actually, framing it that way to say, yeah, I'm just going to take 10 minutes to be kind to myself instead of what you what those thoughts were going through, I guess, our minds, you know. Um, what are the other things that people can do or anyone who's listening who is new to meditation or maybe hasn't even really started a meditation practice aside from framing it in a way that – you know, is it is is easier to ease into it by saying, you know, mm-hmm. we're just going to be kind to ourselves for 10 minutes. What are your other pieces of advice for people wanting to start their own meditation practice? Yeah, that's such a good question. I
0: mean, so we make physical tools to help you meditate. The very honest answer here is you don't need anything that we make to meditate. You can mm-hmm. meditate without anything that we make. But if you want something tactile, the mala beads or a rosary, anything that you can turn through your fingers Is a really great way to start meditating because it brings you back to the present moment over and over again. But some tips, in like, let's say, hey, I want to start a meditation practice in the morning. How do I do it? I would suggest tying it to a routine or a habit that you've already built. So let's say you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth. I hope you brush your teeth in the mornings, (laughs) or you turn on the kettle for tea or the coffee pot, and that becomes the trigger. I'm going to go sit down for four minutes or five minutes. So building a new habit takes a lot of work, but if we tie it to a habit that we've already created, it just eases in a little bit more. I would say another tip is you don't have to do 20 minutes. You can do three minutes. You can do two minutes if you want. Mm -hmm. I think that we have such an all or nothing approach with most, most things in life. Like, I'm all in or I'm not. When we host meditation uh, challenges through the year, we do a lot of free guided meditations all year. People will drop off on day four and never return because they're in this shame spiral of just self-judgment. Hey, if you miss a day, just come back the next day. It's fine. So the, the, the combination of start small and build your way up and also be kind to yourself when you miss a day. And there's no right or wrong time to meditate. You can do it in the morning. Great way to clear your thoughts for the day. When I do it in the morning, I feel ahead of the day. You know, that feeling when like you feel. Totally yes. behind. I feel like that when I don't meditate and even just for two minutes, it doesn't have to be huge. And then meditating at night is a nice way to let go of the day. So it's whatever works for you. And I think when, when I share that people are like, well, you don't have three kids. You don't, you don't know what it's like. I have no time. One yeah. of my teachers put his meditation pillow beside his bed and he would roll off his mattress onto his cushion yeah. and just do it for 60 seconds. So, like, If you really want to you can create just the littlest amount of time for yourself i think Mm -hmm. what's beautiful is when we start it you know we make meditation cushions and a lot of people say to us we put the cushion out in our living room because it kind of guilts us in. it reminds us to meditate but then after a bit oh i get i get called to it i get pulled to it because it's a gift to sit with myself Mm -hmm. for 90 seconds for eight minutes for 20 minutes that it transitions because that's the other very type A question I get. Because I teach a lot of entrepreneurs, mm. a lot of business owners, a lot of very successful people. Well, where's the ROI? When is the outcome? <laughs> when am I going to levitate? You know, what are these? What are, what's the result? When, where is it going to show up? Well, it shows up the more you do it and the more you come back to yourself. And eventually you'll notice that your thoughts begin to change. And then the way you speak begins to change and more compassionate to others. And that, oh, you're a bit more calm through the day. So, It, it turns from this thing of, I need to, or should I should, and I don't like those words need and should are so full of judgment. And it goes from a place of judgment to, Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to just sit with myself for 10 minutes. So that's when the ROI kicks in is when it goes to this place of pulling you in with kindness and love.
1: Yeah. And I guess that kind of builds over time. It's one of those things, like you were saying, that it's not something that you kind of just, okay, I'm going to meditate and then you've got this full-blown meditation practice, but being kind to yourself to ease into it and even taking the smallest amount of time to be kind to yourself during the day, like you were saying. Now, you were just referring to these thoughts that we often have that come up in meditation and often, you know, they might be negative thoughts either about ourselves or about how we're actually meditating. We're not doing it right and all of these kinds of things. And I think those types of thoughts are are very common. I mean, I feel like we all sort of have that kind of self-talk that that comes in, we've learned it from either childhood or some. we've heard it from somewhere and somehow it's stuck there in our unconscious mind and on repeat. So how can we overcome or deal with those thoughts of self-doubt or these thoughts that we have to be perfect, especially if I suppose you're just now becoming aware of these thoughts for the first time, that maybe you've had them there the whole time, but you've only now just become conscious that this is actually running, uh, this tape is running. What do you do then with those thoughts? How do we deal with them? Yeah, that is such a good question. I'm going to answer it in two forms. So first, I'm going to talk
0: about it in meditation. And then two, I'm going to talk about my experience with it, because I think most Mm. people just assume I have it all figured out and I don't, I meditate (laughs) to help me get through stuff. Like I am also figuring it out on the fly, Mm. but in terms of meditation, one of my teachers said to me, once you've meditated 200 days in a row, then you can worry if you're doing it right. So the idea that we get so in our head about the right and the wrong and the self-judgment is in my experience, a form of avoidance, but it's a form of avoidance that we've been recognized for in school, asking questions, being curious. I was at a meditation retreat in India and my analytical mind would not let go of a definition of something. And the teacher, it was pretty embarrassing in front of everyone. She's like, let it go. You're just avoiding doing the meditation now. And it seems like you're justifying it because you're asking intelligent questions, but just let it go and do it. And that was such a humbling moment of, Oh, yeah, we're we're justifying the avoidance through asking questions. So, when I teach meditation, I just dive right into it. And I'm like, sit however you want. There's no wrong way to sit. There's no wrong way to do that. And then we often, because it's such an internal experience, again, assume we're doing it wrong. Because in yoga, you can look at the person beside you and adjust your hips, adjust your body. But internally, we just assume, well, if we open our eyes and the person beside us is calm, we're like, oh, well, they're so Zen and I've totally screwed this up. But maybe 10 seconds before they were looking at you doing the same thing. Like it's such a, it's such an individual experience that we don't have that shared experience until we talk about it. And most people don't want to talk about it because they assume they're doing it wrong. So it's, it's kind of a hilarious thing that whenever I'm teaching, like you're not doing it wrong. You're already breathing. You're already great at it. Let me just give you a few tips. You're going to be fine. But on that note of feeling like we're not doing things good enough, that was my biggest block in starting the business. So going from journalism to entrepreneurship, like 10 years ago, I didn't know any business owners. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. And now meditation and entrepreneurship are so sexy and so cool and super hip. But 10 years ago, it was not that. And I felt so insecure every day thinking, I am not enough. I am not enough. I am not enough for this. Somebody else should run this business. I should start it and just give it to somebody. And I was doing a meditation and this voice said, get over yourself. You playing small is you like just indulging in your fear. You're robbing so many people of such a beautiful experience because you're being selfish. And not to say that, they wouldn't have found it somewhere else. Not that we are the be all end all, but this whole get out of your own way and get over yourself was such a wake up call to me. And it, it wasn't that that moment almost had made me feel like I'm enough. I don't feel like I'm enough. I feel like every time we level up, we have a new breaking open of feeling like we're not good enough, but what a beautiful experience to, to be able to close that loop a little bit sooner. So instead of spiraling for five days, thinking I'm not good enough, I can close that loop a bit quicker. So either getting up and going for a walk or calling a friend or meditating or journaling, whatever that loop closes sooner. So that whole self-limiting, limiting beliefs, meditation doesn't cure that or make it go away. It just helps you, it gives you tools to deal with it and to realize, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not my thoughts. I'm just having this thought in this moment. I need to get up and move and shift and get out of this exact, like exact place. Sometimes I'll just get up and move seats in
1: my apartment So that was a very long-winded answer. And I hope there was something on there. (laughs) It was so great. And I think, you know, you you touched on there the idea that there's a separation. You in the space of meditation, you're able to see or witness your thoughts as a separate piece to you. And that in itself, I feel like is a big piece, like you were saying, because then you don't identify as being whatever your thoughts are, but you can then take some action to shift. But you just touched on there. One thing that I want to just dive into a little bit more in detail was this voice that you talked about um, that had said to get out of your own way, stop playing small. What was that voice for you? And I'm, I'm so curious to know how you knew that that was not your mind or those thoughts and what was that? Oh, nobody's ever
0: asked me that. That's a great question. Um, okay, I find this really fascinating, and I actually don't talk about this a lot. I always have really, really vivid visions and voices in meditation, and I don't share it because I don't want people to think they're doing it wrong if they don't have those things. But ever since I was a kid, I had to go do ink blot tests, which is hilarious. Like because I had such a vivid dreams, so I've always had that. So. There was a point during COVID where those voices got so loud in meditation that I was like, what is going on with me? I am losing it. Like there's something wrong. I can't tell people about this. Like I'm going to have to, I'm going to get locked up. This is not a thing to talk to people about. And I was sharing it with a coach I was working with and I sought out an intuitive, an intuitive training. So I, I took a few meditation trainings during COVID um, was working with a psychoanalytical therapist. I love the gift of getting to know ourselves. Like it's deeply uncomfortable. I'm not saying I find a ton of joy in it. It's beautiful, but it's really uncomfortable. The, I truly believe that it's part of our intuition. So we can receive intuitive hits in so many ways. And I was nervous about this voice and I'll reframe it as this. The other way I frame meditation is when we are in meditation and we have those 200 thoughts, Maybe the next day we have 180 and the day after we have 170 and the next day, maybe 500 because we had a really bad day. When we when we have less thoughts, if you're imagining that wheel I talked about earlier, there's just some spokes on that wheel disappearing, which creates more space. Now, Deepak Chopra talks about meditation as dropping into the space between our thoughts. And I always thought that was beautiful, but I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> so yeah. when, we're creating, when we're creating spaciousness, we're creating room for those aha moments and you can call that an intuitive hit you can call it a message from god from the universe from spirit connection to higher self whatever whatever language resonates with you use that but that spaciousness in meditation when we take that time that gift to create that space we get to hear ourselves and we get to receive those messages and we've all had those messages we've all had that When we're driving, oh, I remember I have to do this. When we're washing the dishes, oh, I have to do this. When we're in the shower, whatever. These aha moments. And so many entrepreneurs and athletes credit their success to those aha moments. But we don't create that spaciousness enough within ourselves. So those aha moments, those voices, those intuitive hits, those downloads, I started receiving more and more and more of them during COVID. And I believe that when we are not, this is getting so woo woo and I didn't think I was going to go here, but anyway, <laughs> I believe that when we're not living in alignment, when we're not living in our purpose, that those voices get louder and louder and louder to redirect us mm. to a point where I was crying frequently because I was so nervous and overwhelmed with what does this mean? And it's because I wasn't living fully. Like I I know what I meant to be doing and it scares me. So I just didn't want to do it. So it's like pushing a beach ball underwater. It's going to pop back up and hit you in the face. So listening to those intuitive voices is such a gift. And again, going back to meditation, I believe that when we're creating those spaces, we learn to trust those downloads. We learn to listen to them. Because how many times have you had an aha moment and not trusted it? And later gone. I knew I should have, or I knew I I knew I shouldn't have trusted this person. I knew I should have gone left. I knew I knew I knew, but we're not crediting ourselves. We're not trusting ourselves enough to follow through with that message. So whether that's intuition, a download, whatever, whatever it is for you, I I believe creating the space in meditation is just an opportunity to also be guided. So I think my interpretation of those voices is that it's intuition. We're all so, so, so powerful and we all have intuition. Men have very strong intuition as well, but I think it's creating space to listen to it and become friends with it, to be able to trust it, to follow it.
1: Yeah. I really, really love that. Thank you for going into that because even just you saying, dropping into the space in between our thoughts, I feel like the more that we do that and the more that we create the space, like you said, through a meditation practice, I guess that's when those those types of voices or your intuitive voice can be heard a lot more. Because I guess that's the whole point. I mean, when we're living our lives, we're doing a whole bunch of different things, it our minds get very busy and that kind of disrupts, I guess, that intuitive voice that that is always there, but perhaps. Our minds are so busy that we can't hear the intuitive voice underneath it. So, yeah, I really, really love that. So the other piece that kind of ties into this is cultivating this deep acceptance about who we are and loving ourselves exactly as we are. And I think it's something that we all need to constantly create for ourselves. And so I'm interested to know your perspective on this, on how we can best do this.
0: Mm. I'm I'm working on it every day. <laughs> I mean, there's days where I feel beautiful and strong and intelligent, and there's days I don't feel those things at all. And I think it's, you know, meditation is is a gift in the sense of getting to know myself. I would say the biggest shift with self acceptance and self love. And again, the phrase self love is such a huge phrase. And it's so elusive and hard to define. I would say my biggest shift in that area has been gratitude journaling. And the reason is because it's reminded me of all the things I do have versus all the things I'm chasing. Because as an entrepreneur, I'm always chasing. The bar is always moving. And very rarely do we sit and celebrate, oh, today was we did X, Y, and Z. And of course, you know, sometimes I'll have those celebrations, of course. But the bar is always one step away, one step away. And which interestingly enough, I was told that was a very unfeminine trait when I was little to not want so much, not chase so hard. And then I realized what entrepreneurship was. I was like, oh, that thing that I was embarrassed about and ashamed of is actually a really beautiful asset. So how cool is that? So just flipping the same thing on its head. And that's what I feel gratitude journaling does. So I worked with this amazing coach in the U.S., and he advised five U.S. presidents. He's runs huge, like he's amazing, amazing entrepreneur, successful human being, all about coaching us into our potential and into our purpose. And that's actually, I've started coaching on the same thing mm. because it's shifted my life so much. And he, I asked him, what's the one thing that you see the most successful entrepreneurs do? You know, sitting in the front row, always asking the first question, being an annoying, annoying journalist. <laughs> <laughs> You know, your morning routine, it sets you up for the day. I'm like, great, what can I do? And he calls it 10, 10 and 10. So 10 minutes of reading or learning, 10 minutes of gratitude and 10 minutes of reflection. So I shifted that a little bit in my own way. So what I do now is I wake up, I do my gratitude journaling for 10 minutes. I do 10 minutes of reflective free flow journaling, and then I'll go for a walk and listen to a podcast or listen to a meditation. Cause then you do something, you do some sort of movement after all this. And I kind of, when he told me that, I was like, that's kind of lame. That cannot be the secret. Like, why are you holding out? <laughs> like, give <me> <laughs> and I started doing it and I committed, I'm going to do this every day for however long it was 10 months. And it changed so much in my life. So instead of I still have that drive and that chase, but so much more aware of the present moment. And again, that word mindfulness. So much more aware and mindful in this moment of, oh, I'm so grateful for this table. I'm so grateful for coffee. I'm so grateful for my baristas, for whatever. And it, it starts always with whatever's around me when I'm really grumpy and can't start writing. And you have to just start get the pen moving. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it becomes like this huge, beautiful reflection on life and my journey. And that realization that I start my day with 10 minutes of gratitude, like I mentioned earlier, that how many thoughts are from yesterday that we bring in gratitude. You know, my team has said, you've shifted your language with us. My family has noticed, my friends have noticed, my baristas have noticed, like everything in my life has shifted into, I want to say being able to accept things that we Grateful for where they are, knowing, hey, this is the dream of five years ago, Ashley. Like this moment yeah. is so cool. Yeah, and so I think that 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 awareness of the present moment of how much we have helps me cope with things. And you know, we all go through things with our body, for example. And there's just this huge shift of. I'm going to decide that I feel sexy and beautiful now, and I'm going to write that I'm grateful for it every day. And I'm going to rewire that part of my brain. I'm going to be sexy and beautiful now because I want to feel that way. And Mm. there's this acceptance and this self-love that comes with that practice that is so, it's so simple. And when I said that to that coach, he's like, it's so simple to do. It's so simple not to do. It's just doing it. And most people don't want to do the work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I really, really love that. Actually, my morning routine is very, very similar. I do gratitude journaling. I do intentions, which isn't quite reflection, but I also do reflection writing as well. And then meditation, that's the part that I actually need to make more of a um, I guess more of a stable in my, in my morning routine. Cause sometimes that kind of goes by the wayside, but I really love that. And I, I do agree. I think bringing gratitude into your day, especially the first thing when you wake up, it just wires your mind to almost look for things as well during the day that you are grateful for that you already have in your life. So I really, really love that. Mm. Um, so you also talk about stepping into our power and this is something that you speak to. So how do we actually do that? Because we all have this innate power within us. What is the key to actually doing that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I could summarize in one sentence. great um, question. I,
0: so I think that We all, all believe that we are capable of more than what we're doing. And that's not in a way of self-judgment that we're not doing enough, but more that we have this potential within us that either we are scared to live it, or we are scared we're going to fail or whatever the fear is. But some of us don't want to dive into it out of fear of failure and we put it on this pedestal, whatever, whatever the story is around it, it's there. And we are so capable of stepping into that. And I do believe that that potential is in alignment with our purpose. And I think that there's so much talk about how do we discover our purpose? How do we discover our purpose? How do we discover our purpose versus what happens when you figure out your purpose and you're super scared to do it? And I mean, that, that to me is super interesting because that that was my experience in COVID of hearing those voices. I'm like, but I don't want to, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm too scared of doing it. And I asked this Buddhist teacher, well, what do you do when you figure out your purpose, but you don't feel like doing it? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. I love that. (laughs) It's It's not a total answer to what your question is, but I find it fascinating because I've never heard people talk about this, that I think inherently deep down, we all know what we wanna do. We all know what our dreams are and we're scared to, to follow them. And I think it's this similar answer to what he shared with me which was my experience is we have created this identity in this life that we are living in right now based on who our friends are, where we live, how we dress, what our job is. And that is our safety blanket and our security blanket of who we are. And it's known and we love it and we feel good here. Oh my goodness, that other version of me of my my potential and my purpose. Oh my God, what what if I screw up? What if my friends make fun of me? What if they laugh at me for it? What if I go bankrupt? What if my family disowns me? What if, what if, what if, what if? All these stories that we tell ourselves, it's like this disrobing of this identity that we've you know cloaked ourselves in. And I think that there's this fear of. But I know who I am now. I don't know who that person is, and it's the yes. devil. You know, it's the devil. You don't, and there's so much beauty on the other side of it. But it is that that moment of absolute. Oh my God, what if it doesn't work? And there, there's beautiful exercises around this, like what, what, what truly is the worst that can happen? And, I mean, I think one of my deepest fears was that people would think I was a phony or that I didn't really like meditation or that whatever. Like I had a whole bunch of stories in my head. My friends are gonna make fun of me, you know, friends from high school that I haven't seen. I'm like, who's this weird hippie meditation person now? Or what? Like, I mean, obviously it doesn't matter, but in that moment, it mattered for some mm. reason. People that I haven't seen in 15 years, their opinion really mattered that day. Yeah. And m- one of my best friends actually called me and she was having a bad day and unleashed all of that exact all my exact fears on me and said, you're not actually authentic, you're not actually into meditation, you're not actually this, you're not actually that. And as she was saying it, I was like, oh, this isn't for me. This is this is her own stuff. And what a gift that now I've heard all of my deepest fears and actually nobody could make it worse. And she apologized and like, hey, I'm not saying that story to create empathy or like anyone feel sorry for me. It was such a gift of Oh, if someone that I love can say it and I can realize that actually had nothing to do with me, that phone call had nothing to do with me and not out of me, not owning stuff. I know one stuff's about me and one stuff's not about me. Um, Who cares what somebody says online? Who cares? And it was, it was my fears of stepping into coaching and my, my fears around up-leveling in that sense of being more of service, because I've done this for 10 years and for 10 years, I'm so lucky and grateful. I've been able to take meditation trainings and intuitive trainings and go to retreats around the world. And I have had friends say to me, like, why don't you share that stuff? Like, why aren't you uh, giving this to people and like letting them in? And I'm like, well, cause I don't want to make it look like that I'm doing it for social media. So I was always nervous that is it going to look like it's for ego or if mm. it's for service. And that was my block. And as soon as I put it out there, It was the most beautiful, reassuring experience of people saying, wow, I really identify with that share. Hey, I had men reach out to me on the other side of Canada. This gentleman said, I have three daughters. I'm in my 60s. I don't know what it is you could help me with, but I think you can help me align to my purpose and my potential and my values. Mm -hmm. Wow. How beautiful is that? And people I never would have met, never would have talked to, I've now been able to have the most vulnerable conversations with and watch them. Realigned to who they truly want to be, and on this side of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I waited so long. It's kind of embarrassing, but <laughs> realizing that fear of us stepping into it is a rebuilding potentially of an identity, and potentially the releasing of a lot of people or things or, you know, the way we frame ourselves. So it is. It can be very lonely, but it doesn't have to be. And I'm lucky that I've worked with some great coaches and had a loving support system, but not everybody has that. And it mm. can be it can be scary, but it's so worth it on the other side.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love that story because it is, like you were saying, a, a un like peeling back the layers and almost not – I don't want to say recreating yourself, but finding a new version of yourself almost in a way, that, that version that you – you don't know yet and that's the scary thing is is there may be things that you have to let go in your life in order to to step into that and that's so true i think fear stops a lot of us from from doing that so it's good to identify now obviously with mala collective you've been able to actually connect artisans in asia to create these beautiful products to support a mindfulness and meditation practice so I'm interested to know, can you tell me about those first few years when you were getting started? Because like you said, you weren't an an entrepreneur to begin with. You sort of fell into it. And and what were the biggest challenges you faced at that sort of starting point, either business-related in terms of a practical sense, but also to do with your own beliefs? And I think that there's obviously – we've spoken a little bit about it already. But yes, tell me about the, the beginning stages of it. I mean,
0: there's okay, I'm so uh, embarrassed to say this, but that whole
1: asking for help,
0: not being a weakness, like I wish that I had' believed that way sooner because I was so bullheaded and just thought I had to do it all on my own. And I was a huge fan of screwing up a lot consistently on <laughs> and and not just learning a lesson once, but like reaffirming that lesson like twelve times. like, painful, painful, painful in the sense that actually, to be fair, I wouldn't have even known what to ask. So that, that vulnerability of like, Hey, I'm lost. What do I do next? That question probably could have served me. I didn't yeah. know what to ask. And I mean, I screwed so much stuff up, but what I also think was a gift is I remember talking to people like you can't run your business that way. I'm like, of course I can, because that's the way I want to run it. So there's like <laughs> naivety. naivety is also a gift because I got to reframe how I want my business to look. And oh my goodness, there, there was so many, so many low moments and so many failures and so many screw ups. And also people come to me for help on those things now. And I get to help coach people through their business. Mm-hmm. Um, because I screwed up and learned the hard way and that's okay. I mean, I still do it in some ways. There, There's like that stubbornness in me that will not go away, but I'm much more open to receiving and asking for help. But it is a practice when you're not used to receiving and when you're not used to asking for help, I'm definitely, you know, growing up in attachment styles and avoidant attachment style. And I'm working on becoming a secure attachment style and being able to receive and ask for help. And I do think a lot of the meditation trainings and intuition trainings have helped me with that connecting to the divine feminine and asking to receive because I think I was so strong in my masculine that I just wanted to ram through every gate and prove and do and not ask. And so, holy, there was a lot there. But I would say one of the really cool learnings, and now this is probably not even related to your question, but it's <laughs> coming up for some reason, so I'll share it. Um, one of the bigger lessons in the beginning for me was understanding what your version of success is and not taking what everyone else's version of success is. Because, you know, we launched with Lou Lemon across North America, which made us a big company, which was so cool. Yeah. So after that, we got this huge office, downtown Vancouver. We got organic juice delivered and groceries and puppies could come and visit. And like we were super cool, super hip business. And, you know, we all dressed as, it was great. And I realized I hated it. I walked in one day, I was like, this is not why I started a business. I started the business because my values were curiosity and mindfulness and adventure and freedom. And I wanted to learn and I wanted to grow. And I wanted to understand different forms of mindfulness and meditation and reshare them, not sit in an office and get organic juice delivered, which, Hey, that is fantastic. That is a beautiful version of success, but it wasn't my version of success. But what I did was I took everyone else's success around me and I was like, well, that looks cool. I'll do that instead of doing the work. And so one day I said, we're going to go remote. And this was about six years ago now. And I mean, now most companies are remote. Six years ago, this was an insane idea that everybody told me was a ridiculous idea. And I remember going on a date and the guy said, wow, is your business going under? That's really embarrassing. Like you shouldn't tell anybody you're going remote i said my team i think i want to go remote we're going to give it a shot my one of my best friends came into my office and said i love your office space said would you like the lease i don't want it anymore she took over the lease within 30 days we were a remote company and i super super believe that when we are in alignment of what our version of success is what our purpose is when we're aligned to our values that things happen for us in flow i did not have to force that experience And being remote, hey, we figured it out as we went. I didn't have a huge strategy or plan. I just knew I was out of alignment before and I was shifting back into alignment. So a lot of the coaching I do and a lot of just phone calls I have with friends are, okay, well, what are your values? And is that in alignment with your values? And what's your version of success? And why are you chasing that thing? Because I've never heard you talk about that before. So I think most of us chase things because we think we should chase things or it's what success looks like to everybody else. And I mean, that was that was many years of my business journey is not knowing why I was doing what I was doing in the yeah. sense of alignment with myself.
1: Yeah. Defining firstly what success looks like for you, but then also understanding what your values or intentions are behind actually yeah. ha- running a business. Yeah. I really like that. Now, Obviously, you've managed to turn Marla Collective into an eight-figure business or more. And I, I know obviously there's there's key steps that you go through in terms of the life cycle of a business and, the, and that journey that you take. So what were the key steps firstly to go from when you started to a six-figure business? Because I feel like a lot of the time entrepreneurs, that's the first big goal that they have, a six-figure business. And then from six to eight, there's another little, I suppose, jump there. Or maybe there's some the key things that you needed to do. So firstly, mm-hmm. what were the big things from basically being a startup to go to six figures?
0: You know, I one of one of the I don't like giving or receiving advice. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know, people are like, why are you a coach? Well, my, my coaching is not to like give you advice. You know what's best. My coaching is to pull out of you. I truly believe we all know what's better than somebody else coming in to tell us what to do. Um, But a piece of advice I received or feedback I received was one of the biggest blocks and barriers that entrepreneurs have is the shiny object syndrome, that we want to do everything and we want to do it all right now. And I used to be like that for sure. I think that having clarity on what you want to achieve and really breaking it down, I implemented a few years ago, it's called, the book is called Traction It's EOS, entrepreneurial operating system. And it just helps you break down what your goals are, set goals quarterly, annually, whatever. I thought I was really good at goal setting. This really helped me operations and logistics, like really get clear in business. Mm. But I think outside of that, just getting really, really clear on why am I doing what I'm doing? And if I had three wins this year, what are they? And just chase those. And so I would go for the top of the top instead of trying to chase the little guys. So as an example, like Lou Lemon, mm-hmm. I wanted Lou Lemon so bad. And Hey, I know that's a big one to like put on the vision board. It's
1: huge, bowl. huge. But I was like,
0: I'm going to put all my time and energy into that. And would take people out for tea, would meet them for coffee, would go to yoga classes. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's what made it happen, but when you're energetically so focused on one or two things, you will you'll find yourself closer and closer and closer to it, and my goal was these are my three goals. And once we receive those, or once we partner with these people, everybody else will come to us. And I'm not saying that's like a sustainable business model for everybody, uh, but it definitely was my approach on extreme clarity on just a few things that I wanted. Outside of that, like cont- continuing to scale, you know, we started with mala beads, so we started with uh, jewelry, and curiosity is one of my core values. And that was, you know, I mentioned earlier, meditation was not a foundation of my life as it is now. I was curious, like what else do people use to meditate? And also when we started the business, people would email us and say, this mala has changed my life. It has got me through divorce. It's got me through a sex change. It's got me through an abusive marriage. It's got me like, Oh my gosh, these stories were so transformational, which also spiraled me into who am I to run this business. But once I got over that, I thought, this is so cool that this object holds this much significance for people. What else can we create with that same intention and that same energy? So then we started diversifying. And I mean, that wasn't a strategy, a marketing plan. That was like sheer curiosity. Now looking back, of course, diversification makes sense, but I didn't know that. At the yeah. time. I wanted to go to India and Nepal. So I went to India and Nepal. And I mean, outside, like from that trip, we started creating new products that, have shape shifted and grown into new categories and it's been beautiful. So that expansion happened very organically, but I would say it was very much so connected to the why and the purpose and to Mm -hmm. the core of the business. The continuation of scale, like continuing to grow that humility of, I actually don't know all the answers and that's totally fine. I will hire people that are significantly smarter than me and love this thing. There's areas of the business that I hate doing and somebody else is so lit up by it. Beautiful. I would love for you to do that. And I can do what I'm lit up by. There's a great book. Um, Oh my goodness. It's Gay Hendricks, the big leap. It's such a fantastic book. It's about overcoming limiting beliefs. Mm. Um, it's, it's really, really good. And it's all how, how we up level. And it talks about your zone of genius I didn't realize that being a visionary and holding a vision of the future was actually a skill. I just thought it was the thing that everybody had until I tried to force my whole team to have it and <laughs> they hated it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, you know, when things come naturally to you, you don't realize they don't come naturally to everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's just this inherent thing that you're like, well, if I could do it, you can do it not out of naivety, but just assuming, well, I don't know, I guess we all have this quality that realization was really empowering for me to stay in my area and to bring in people that love their area and let them have that vision. And also knowing that I don't have to hold the whole vision and I can push my team a little bit and get them a little bit uncomfortable and say, Hey, here's the vision. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And I used to really resent that whole, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I was like, no, I just want to go far and alone (laughs) because (laughs) I was a journalist and I was so used to working alone. I wasn't like, not that I wasn't a team player, but I just didn't understand how powerful it was to have a really strong team. And now I really love my team and they know things about the business that I, I'm not even embarrassed that I don't know. That's not like that's not my zone of genius. That's their zone of genius. So I would say continuing to up level is surrounding yourself with a team that wants to up level and also surrounding yourself with a peer group or a coach or a mentor or whoever it is that can help zoom you out and up level you. Because I I I work with a lot of coaches. I so, I so, so, so believe in that because I know that I have upper limiting beliefs and blind spots that I can't see. And I know analytically what my blocks are, but I don't know how they're manifesting in, in every interaction and having a coach kind of pull me out and coach me through every time it up levels me, every time it up levels me. So yeah. even when it comes to re- running a team, I've had coaches around HR, coaches around finance, you know, intuitive coaches, yeah, like coaches with whatever, every capacity. I really, really, really love that because we do not have to do it alone and we often just think we do. And then we start feeling shame and then we start to spiral. So there's a lot there, but I think surrounding yourself with good people that, that want the best for you um, yeah. is such a huge part in the up-leveling.
1: Huge. Yeah. And so, you know, you want to just to repeat what you were saying to get really clear and have that clarity around why you're doing it, what the values are behind the business and your intention, and then be more specific about the goals that you're trying to achieve. And then obviously with the scaling to to surround yourself with with people who are really great at what they do and maybe that uh, that you're not so great at and to surround yourself with, with a team that, that can assist in, in really helping with that bigger vision that you have, I guess. Now, obviously, like you've mentioned, you, you coach a lot of people who also want to create a thriving and really purposeful business. What are, you touched on this before, having limiting beliefs, what are the most common blocks or limiting beliefs that you've seen that stop people from really achieving that up-leveling in their business?
0: Yeah, I think that that's such a good question. And I know this is going to be such a simple answer, but it, it blows my mind always. We we don't have clarity. Mm. And I, I think that we think we have clarity and we don't have clarity. It's either a disconnection from our why or from our values or from our vision. And instead of thinking about like the future, a lot of people are judging, like I should have accomplished this by now versus, yes. okay, I'm going to let that go now. And here's what I want to accomplish. And again, I advice to me is so triggering because I've had people come in and give me advice for my business. And I just thought, you don't know it. what it, it, the reason it's triggering is because I wish that I hadn't given my power away in business. So many times mm-hmm. I gave my power away mainly to men who would come in and be like, just speak with confidence. You should do X, Y, and Z. And I'd be like, Oh my God, you're so right. Thank you. You're the best. And then it didn't work. I was like, my gut told me not to listen to them. Why yeah. did I disempower myself? by listening to someone who seemed more confident. So that's why I will never go in with advice because it's much more um, sustainable to just teach someone and help someone to listen to their own voice. And hey, I can help with logistics and operations and financial structures and sales models and marketing. Yeah, but that stuff's on Google. You don't need me to do that with you. You can figure that out. And you already know what you want. I really think that the coaches that have helped me the most have helped me peel back Um, and ask me really beautiful questions to understand what do I want my life to look like and why? And what are your values there? And what does success mean to you? And it's, it's so simple. It's such a simple breakdown, but oftentimes I'll ask that question and somebody will answer it and I'll say, I'm going to repeat back to you what I heard and I'll repeat it. They're like, Oh, I don't want that at all. I can't believe that's what I said like, oh, okay, that's great. So we know where to start now. We'll just figure out what that looks like. But I think most of us are chasing this version of who we think we should be, and it's not totally in alignment of what would feel good in our heart and our guts. And I don't think a lot of us have had the space to reflect on that.
1: Yeah. I think you're so right, too, because also the other thing is, you know, when you ask those questions, like, what do you want your life to look like and why? I mean, yes, a lot of what we might answer might be things that we've seen from other people. Oh, I, I want my life to look like that because that person has that and that's what success means. Yeah. But how, I mean, and also because there's so many options, right? Like we, we live in a culture that's very busy. It's a very busy culture. There's so many options. A lot of things, especially if you live in, you know, Western culture, a lot of things are accessible to us. So how do you even figure out what yeah. you want your life to look like when we're presented with so many images of what we think we should want. Yeah. What? How do we figure that out? Yeah. And even like to that, I'm going to name drop so hard right now.
0: I was at, <laughs> <laughs> I was at you know, Gwyneth Paltrow for Goop for her business in LA and we were doing a partnership with them. And one of the speakers said, I bet you that none of you could take out your phones and list out 10 things you want in your life. And I, worked on 30 because I'm like, I do this exercise every day. But what I like now, when I reflect on that, I think one of my barriers is I, my list is so long that it's hard to put all that into effect. And then it sparks shame because I haven't accomplished them all. So every year with my business group, we do our goal setting for the next year. And I just came out of that. Um, and my lesson reflecting on the goals from the year before was maybe just have three goals in each bucket, uh, instead of 12 because now I feel like an idiot because I've accomplished like one goal in each area of life okay well I'm not going to try in incite shame and it's very much like I just said with the like raccoon shiny object syndrome business but we do it in life goal setting too so yeah, it's just getting really clear really concise and also something that's attainable and there's a beautiful author in Vancouver named Danielle Laporte
1: and she talks yes, I've about heard of her.
0: yes how we're chasing a feeling So that goal that we're setting is actually associated with the feeling. So what are the feelings that you want? So as an example, if you're setting your goals, I want a new couch. I want a new house. I want a trip to Hawaii and I want to make a million dollars. Okay, great. So maybe the feeling of the house and the couch is I want to have grounding and I want to have a home. And maybe the feeling that you're chasing with your holiday is adventure and freedom. And then maybe that feeling with money is security and abundance. So when you narrow down to those words and the feelings does that always align with the outcome like with the material thing that you're chasing so I find it a really curious reflection that whenever I start coaching with somebody I always help them identify their values first Mm -hmm. because then that will really reflect well does that feel in line with that goal that you set and I'm not here to judge, but just going to, you know, reflect back to you just the words that you shared earlier. So it's, it is really cool. It's beautiful. We, we, we can't, we can't tell our own limiting beliefs all the time. And I think we're so in our heads and even, even for me, 10 years of meditating and running a business and coaching, I need coaches. Like we, we all need some sort of loving guiding support, whether that's like, through free YouTube videos or a coach. Like it doesn't have to be a coach. There's so many ways that you can find that support. Um, but I think we have created this idea that we should just know. And it's, as soon as we surrender to nobody really knows, and we're all just looking for a little bit of love and a little bit of guidance. Um, it makes it a little bit easier.
1: Yeah. To, to to get, firstly, get the space to have the time to reflect, also mm. to get the support that you need. And that can be in a variety of different ways through having a coach or other resources. But I think too, you know, we're always constantly growing and evolving. And I don't think we ever get to a point where we're just, we have it all figured out. We're just constantly discovering new things about ourselves and the new things that we want to achieve. And I really, I really love all of those, those tips. That was so good. So one of the things that I do speak to all my guests about is rejection and failure. And we all experience this through life. And I'm, I'm curious to know what has been your biggest failure or rejection and what have you learned from it? And it doesn't have to be related to business or entrepreneurship, just mm-hmm. anything in general.
0: I mean, okay, failures. I've it's so hard. I, I don't want to say I'm not a fan of the word failure. Cause I could do the whole, like I learned a lesson and I'm grateful. Like <laughs> I, I do believe that, <laughs> but yes. I also believe that failing like is great. It's a good thing. Uh, when we're, when we're learning from it, I used to go to this thing called a failure wake where a bunch of business owners would come together to celebrate failures and do like an Irish toast at the end of, Oh, wow.
1: That's it was fun. very cool. Cause it's Beautiful. realizing we
0: don't really know what we're doing and it's, everyone's failures came down to the thing that they were avoiding. So it was a good lesson. Okay. Let me see here in business, biggest failures. I mean, I think I mentioned earlier giving my power away for so many years like that. Holy, that maybe is a little less tangible, but I, when I say I didn't think I was good enough, I cannot emphasize how, um, how much that changed my life. I was crying every single night for years, every single night I had anxiety Mm -hmm. and People often ask me when I quit my job because I went back into journalism and PR when I was starting Mala and people are like, when did you know to quit? I'm like, when I realized I hated everybody and everything, and I was talking about self love and mindfulness, <laughs> 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 I was completely out of alignment. So failure is a bigger word for that, but I think not thinking when I was good enough and thinking that everybody else around me had the answer was, holy, I robbed myself of years with that. I robbed myself yeah. of years with that. And the lesson is profound, and I'm grateful. Ugh, other failures. I mean, the great thing about being a boss is I don't have to tell my team when I screw stuff up. And I screw them up. <laughs> 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 I mean, we're a pretty empathetic, vulnerable team, but it's not like I'm slacking. Hey guys, guess what I did today? And <laughs> I'll tell them because it's like we're all human. But we all we all screw stuff up. What's a funny screw up? I can't even think of a funny screw up. Actually, I'll, I'll I'll share one that's maybe a bit more vulnerable and not really about business. But my partner and I that started the business together we actually parted ways, and I've had that question of what's that feel like that your marriage failed. And I thought, whoa, that's a that's a heavy question. Yeah. And we we parted ways really lovingly, which I mean I'm so grateful for, and I wish I heard more people say that. But when we were talking about it somebody asked us both about that and associating the word failure. And we had been doing a lot of therapy and understanding again, what our version of success is. No, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we talked about it, our version of success was that we both became better people and that we both grew. And while we would have loved to do that together, we still succeeded in that experience together. And it was a successful loving partnership and it was a successful loving parting of ways with respect and kindness. And now there's still a lot of love and support and kindness there. So I think, you know, maybe flipping that word failure on its head a little bit that in that moment, oh yeah, I felt like a failure. I felt really embarrassed. And then understanding it was actually through therapy that it helped me understand like, well, what, what is your definition of success? And a lot of people's definition of success in marriage is time, but a lot of people are wildly unhappy in a long, I'm not, here to talk about like that stuff in depth but I just mean it was it was a beautiful um it was really beautiful for my heart to be able to let go of that too and understand oh I can I can still look back on that and I I would never ever ever call that a failure but there was a moment that I did feel like it was now I'm like oh that was success and marriage is great and I can't wait to do it again and I highly recommend it and it was wonderful
1: yeah I think and too you know I think a lot of women I've spoken to in our generation that this has happened and it's it's not mm-hmm. uncommon that the view of relationships and marriage is shifting away from that. What we have been, I suppose, brought up with thinking that it has to be a long marriage to be successful, just shifting the framing of what, like you said, what is a successful relationship to you and and letting go of the idea of something that perhaps is not in alignment, like you were saying, with, with what you believe. I really love that. And my final question for you is, if you had an overarching life philosophy or mantra that you try to live your life by, what would that be? I mean, we talked about serendipity at
0: the beginning. I I so believe in, I so believe in serendipity and it is such a practice of patience and trust and letting go.
1: Mm.
0: And I, I still have anxiety and I still have moments of fear and doubt. And, you know, I got in my head this morning and had to go for a walk. And this idea that I'm behind, I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. Like I had that today. I have all these tools. Like I, I still get that. And I had to remind myself, Hey, this, like, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You couldn't be anywhere else. This moment is happening for a reason. You know, I could never, ever, ever in my life have manifested or created a vision board of this moment. Cause I didn't know this existed. I didn't know oh, yeah. what entrepreneurship was. I didn't know that I would last week I was teaching meditation at Ted women. Uh, my biggest dream on the planet is working with, women specifically, but these thought leaders and these influential human beings and bringing inner peace to them. And I cried every day that I was there. And I Mm. thought I could never have forced this moment. There was hustle. There's hustle. I mean, I'm not saying there's not hustle, but there's just as much trust and just as much surrendering and letting go. And that surrendering to serendipity is a practice that I have to remind myself of and I think again, like I mentioned, the divine feminine that being so much of my masculine running a business, I've worked to re empower that divine feminine and realize it's okay to be really feminine and run a business. Yeah, you can be that and be just yeah. as yeah. intuitive and authentic and whatever, whatever words you want to be. I think that combining. That surrendering with serendipity, with patience, with trust, with letting go. Like it's it's a whole practice that I am so in awe of and I'm constantly practicing every day. But that's not really a mantra, that's more of just a thought process that's shifted. Because that never used to be my thought. My thought was like hustle, stay up till two, kill yourself doing what you're doing. The opposite of mindfulness.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So
0: now, yeah. I I'm much happier now.
1: And, um, there's a lot more ease and flow. Yeah. I love that so much. And I feel like just this whole chat, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling so inspired and also just, I feel more space. I feel like after having this chat, so thank you so much for joining me, Ashley. It's been such a pleasure. And I feel like- People are going to get so much out of this episode. There's so much in here, not only for business, but for your mindfulness and meditation practice and finding more space in your life. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me. Where can people find you on socials and Mala Collective? Where can they find all of those awesome things?
0: Yeah, I mean, Instagram, our handles Mala Collective. Mine's Ashley underscore underscore Ray. I'm sure that you'll link it. But yes, I will. Reach out. We're a small team. We love hearing from people. We have a lot of free guided meditations. I can send you a link if you want to share it with everyone. It's I'm I'm a huge fan of being able to educate people through this and not just sell things because my life goal was never to like go from journalism to being this like mala girl. That was not the vision. The vision is how can I empower more people to understand themselves and connect themselves? It's such a I'm so honored to be able to be part of that. So please reach out if you're curious about any of it like and um, I'd
1: love to hear from you. Amazing. So we will make sure that we link all of those things in the uh, show notes where you can get the resources and Mala Collective and get on to Ashley. So thank you again for such an amazing and insightful chat. And thank you guys for listening. Make sure you tell us what you loved or what you learned from this episode in a review on Apple Podcasts. And also screenshot this and tag us and share it to your IG stories. And we'll catch you next time on the Rage Active Podcast.